Welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast. This is your host, Tim Ferrara. I pray this episode helps give you a renewed passion for reaching the lost. I sure got fired up after hearing Ray and his passion as well, so you're in for a great interview. As always, this podcast is a member of the Edify Podcast Network. Download the Edify app today and find more great Christian podcasters. Hey, last week's episode two was an awesome one with Cody Bobay. It was great for men. So if you are a man or have a man in your life, would you go back and listen to it? Share it with somebody that needs to hear the message of biblical masculinity and how we can make a difference today. If you're looking to grow in discernment and make better decisions that honor God, I have exclusive content on Faithful that I think will help you do that. You can join Faithful. There's free content as well as paid content that you can get by being a monthly supporter of what I'm doing on there and also help support this ministry and this podcast. Just go to faithful.place and find me, Discerning Dad. Without further ado, here's my interview with Ray Comfort. Welcome to the podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. My guest today is Ray Comfort. Ray is the best-selling author of more than 100 books, and the CEO of livingwaters.com. He co-hosts the award-winning television program, Way of the Master, airing in every country in the world, and is an executive producer of 180, Evolution versus God, Audacity, and other films. He is married to Sue and has three grown children and hasn't left the house without gospel tracks for decades. So, Ray, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I, good. I got to take that off the bio. <laughs> it sounds kind of strange. I don't know how it gets there. Yeah, yeah I, a- I, I always carry tracks. Yeah. That's and awesome. it's mainly because I've said publicly a number of times I'll give a thousand dollars cash to anyone <laughs> who finds me in public without tracks. Yeah. So I've actually got John 316 tattooed on my chest with a sinner's prayer underneath it just to make sure. Yeah, you're never without it. <laughs> that's great. So a hundred books, that's amazing. And I have to ask you just what is just maybe some practical routines you have to write that many books. Do you write every day? Is it just like when you're inspired to write a book, you get it out real quick or how does that work? Well, it's not that many. It's only two books a year for 50 years. So that yeah. that's no, it sounds <laughs> a lot, but it's not that much when you spread it out. I write in the night. Um, I've got a very understanding wife. I write on iPad. Uh, it doesn't disturb her. doesn't make any noise like a typewriter used to. Yeah. And it's, Nowadays, it's not that hard to write a book. When I first started back in the late 1970s, my first book, if I wanted to do research, I'd go to a library, I'd drive there, I'd go and ask the librarian, where would I find such and such? You'd say over there, I'd look at about 100 books and pick one out, (laughs) search through the book, find what I wanted, take it to her, she'd photocopy it, I'd grab the photocopy, take it home, type it out, then it would get typeset, blah, blah. That would take half a day. Yeah. Nowadays, I do it in 15 seconds, you know, through the internet. Yeah. I want to quote, and there it is, cut and paste, and it's in the book. Yeah. So I can write a book that would have normally taken me two months years ago. I can do it in two or three weeks now. And uh, that's if I've got a passion for what I'm writing. Yeah. And it usually starts off uh, a really good title, stirs me up. Mm-hmm. And then there's so much information out there, and then so many anecdotes and things happen and quotes. So uh, it's not it's not hard to write a book. Most people could do it. The big problem is getting a publisher, hmm. then a distributor. You can self-publish, 
and you can print 3,000 copies, put them under your bed because um, you don't know what to do with them because no Christian yeah. bookstore is going to take them. No distributor wants them. All they want for you to publish a book is for you to be famous. If you're famous, you're in. If you're not, really, really difficult. So yeah. uh, the key to writing book is just to have a passion for what you want to write about. And I have a passion to reach the lost. Yeah, that's great. Kids today will never know the struggle of the Dewey Decimal System and going to the library for research. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, that's awesome. Uh, it's an amazing accomplishment. I have two books in my belt, so I have to just keep doing two a year and I can catch up to you. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'll slow down so you can catch up. <laughs> I want to appreciate that. So tell everyone a little bit about your history, you know, when you came to Christ and, and kind of what that process was like for you and where, where God's leading you. Well, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, I was born twice in New Zealand. You might notice a very slight accent. Uh, yeah. That's because I'm from down under. I've uh, been living in the U.S. for um, 32 years in Southern California. Uh, as, I, as I said, I got uh, came to Christ in New Zealand. The reason I came to Christ was very successful, but I saw life was futile. I had a, a King Solomon experience mm. where everything I wanted I had at my hands, not in the way Solomon had it, but in a smaller degree. Sure. And I remember just thinking this is a waste of time because of death. It's like I'm on a... And a, and a line waiting to step off a thousand foot cliff. And I'm looking ahead. How can I get out of this line? Does anyone know? Mm. Well, I found a way out of the line. When I came to Christ, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the moment I came to Christ, I was like a madman with joy that I'd found everlasting life. Mm. And uh, I've got worse as time has gone on. Um, my, I live to reach the lost. I live to do God's will. And I do that with a passion. And I, I look back over the 50 years I've been a Christian and just say, thank God I haven't wasted any of that, that mm. I've not set myself to be an actor, to be rich, to do all the things the world really esteems. Yeah. Uh, I've served the Lord because everything else is an absolute waste of time. It's chasing the wind. It's futile. Whatever you accomplish now, whether it be you know, the founder of Amazon or whatever, or so much money in the bank, they can't count it as increases. It's still nothing Yeah. Uh, in a hundred years time in eternity. It's nothing. And I love what um, that uh, great man once said, whose name I've forgotten, said, there's only one life. It'll soon be passed. Only what you've done for Christ will last. Mm, yep. And what I've lived for is his will and uh, gives me great satisfaction. That's amazing. Yeah. You have such a lifetime of faithfulness and that shows through your work and your passion for God. And that's contagious. You know, having passion for God's contagious, uh, no matter where you're at, if you're at a job, if you're at school, if you're just, you know, living your life with your friends, if you're passionate for God, that's going to grow. That's going to be like a wildfire that grows into other people. And so, you know, we can't hide that light. We have to show it for the world, you know, that's in darkness. We have to let our light show and we do that through our actions, through our passion, through love, you know, and uh, we'll talk a lot about coming up here just about your approach to evangelism and how you make it so practical that people that might think they know about Jesus, you know, may not know the gospel. And so we can't take that for granted that we assume everyone's heard. We have to keep sharing the light that we have and the hope that we have within us. And uh, you are the CEO of livingwaters.com. Tell us a little bit about that and resources you have on there and things that people can find on there. Well, that's very kind of you. It's a website and a ministry that's been created to equip Christians uh, to reach the lost. And our whole principle is that if we push you under the heat of modern warfare without weapons, 
you're going to not be very courageous. You're mm. going to be scared silly. But if we give you state-of-the-art weapons, those weapons will give you courage. And there are certain weapons in the Bible that Charles Spurgeon called our most able auxiliary, which mm. is the most powerful weapon that will give you courage. And so that's why we exist, just to equip Christians. And you've mentioned before about zeal being contagious. I think of that scripture, your zeal have provoked, has provoked very many. Mm. And it's quite amazing how enthusiasm is caught. We can do the opposite. I mean, a yawn, why? you know, you're going to want to yawn yourself. It's yeah. kind of, it's weird. It really is quite weird. And same with laughter. You can go in a room and everyone's laughing and you go, <laughs> what are we laughing at? You're laughing. And it's just because it's contagious. I haven't even heard the joke and zeal or enthusiasm has the same effect. And I, I often look at uh, comments on a YouTube channel and it thrills me when someone says your zeal is stirring me up. I want to do that. And you think, Mm. wow, that is just so wonderful. But I don't look at myself as being anything special. I'm a normal biblical Christian. Every Christian should be zealous. We should be on fire. And it's not even a compliment that I'm on, uh, have a passion for God. It's like saying a man to a man, well, you're really great because you've got such a passion for your wife. No, it's his wife that's complimented. Mm. And so if you know the Lord, you're going to have a passion for him. When you look at the cross and realize that we were heading for hell, death had us by the ears and he saved us by his blood, by shedding his blood and dying on the cross. God commanded his love toward us that while we get sin as Christ died for us, that should spark a passion in our heart. We love him because he first loved us. So yeah. it comes back to seeing your sins, seeing his love, and that'll provoke a gratitude that'll be a high octane fuel that'll drive you to do his will. Yeah. I love that. And that's a good analogy with marriage. You know, it's, it's a lot of times I can speak for myself, you know, where we feel like we're helping God out by doing something for him, but really it's coming from love that we want to show love. We're not trying to earn love. We're not trying to get all these rewards, but we're trying to just give back out of relationship with God, out of our love for him that he first loved us. And that should propel us. You know, I just read James today where, you know, faith without works is dead. And so a lot of times our faith should propel us to do things for God, not out of, you know, fear of condemnation or all these things that kind of the negative of it, but the positive of why are we actually doing this? Why are we actually here? What's our purpose? The small amount of time we're actually on this earth, we can be used by God and it's a blessing to be used by God. It's it's We are blessed to be a blessing. And so we can't uh, lose sight of the fact that God has a purpose for each one of us, not comparing our callings to one another, not trying to say that, you know, I wish I had this, I wish I could do that, but what can you do where you're at, where God has placed you? What might seem small and if you keep giving God the little bit you have, God will continue to grow that into something that is beautiful. Amen. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. What I love talking about on this on this program is discernment, making decisions that honor God, because through making those decisions, however small they might be, that can lead us down a path of blessing in our life. In this season specifically, I wanted to talk about areas where we might have made the right decision, but we had to pursue and push through a roadblock or a problem, you know, a valley in our life that wasn't necessarily what we envisioned when we made that decision. So I was wondering if you could share a time you had to make a decision for God, but 
it wasn't necessarily something that was easy and you kind of had to push through to see the blessing on the other side? Boy, that is a a thought-provoking question. The thing that came to my mind was when we felt assured that God was directing us to the U.S. Mm. I shared a teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secret in Hawaii back in 1987 or 88. And a pastor from California sat in, heard the teaching, totally disagreed at first, then studied scripture and realized it was biblical and then started calling me in New Zealand and said, after some time, we believe God is provoking us to invite you to come to the U.S. Well, I had an established ministry in New Zealand. I had a a wonderful family. We had our own home. And so to uproot was a huge decision Mm. and one that I had to take courage and make. Then again, there were 13 different confirmations, weird things that happened over a three-day period to confirm that we're on the right track, uh, on the right track. I said tracked. I'm tracked. Maniac. Um, God will direct a pass, but a lot of a lot of the Christian walk, it really is a matter of just trust. You know, I make decisions in life based on the Mark 16, verse 15. For instance, I've just decided to put out a, a little gospel tract on a certain subject. Uh, no direction from God, no clear voice from God, but just based on the thought, people are going to hell, and uh, I, I think this could reach them. Hmm. And so I step out in faith and God honors that. Now, that's been the principle for years. You know, if I see an old lady fall over uh, on a sidewalk, I don't have to say, Lord, what is your will for me to do in this situation? Common sense tells me I'm a Christian. I've got a conscience. I can't let her just lie there. I've got to help her up. And common sense tells me that I should do everything I can to reach the lost. The apostle Paul said, by all means, reach some. And so we use every means possible to reach the lost, and it's all provoked by faith. As I said, not by an audible voice from God, but just go into all the world, preach the gospel to the creature. And my criteria for sharing the gospel with anyone is, are they breathing? If they're breathing, I witness to them. If they're not, it's too late. And uh, that's been a wonderful revelation that that I got as a new Christian. So uh, when big decisions uh, had to take courage, make a decision, and God's confirmed it and directed me. Smaller decisions, it's just a matter of using your initiative. Mm-hmm. And I love initiative, and it seems that God does too. Yeah. Yeah. And God uses the passions we already have because He's given us those passions to use them for Him. And, you know, we can't just wait, like you're saying, you know, for the booming voice, we have to go where God's calling us, even if it's just a thought, even if it's just a, you know, moving us through the Holy Spirit on a given day just follow that in obedience. And I've been saying this recently is that there's not a problem of information in the church today. It's a problem of obedience. We have more information than ever. We have more sermons and messages and books and commentaries, but it's a problem with actually obeying the voice of God, actually making decisions that he's pushing you towards. And that's where I think a lot of Christians get hung up on is that, okay, I'm saved. I'm good. I have my insurance card to heaven. Instead of what can I do today? for God, for his kingdom to reach the lost as I was once lost. And you have uh, great tools on this, such as your book on the school of biblical evangelism lessons that you share to share your faith effectively, simply, and biblically the way Jesus did. So what are some lessons that you can share with us on how to evangelize as Jesus modeled it for us? Well, firstly, let me just say, um, we're living in a very dark time of history. Yeah. Uh, who would have believed what's happened has happened. 
um, gross darkness. And so I found it when in this time kind of difficult to share the gospel. I go out on my bike. I don't know if I've got pictures, but I have my dog with me. My dog wears sunglasses. I wear sunglasses. And that's my <laughs> my ticket to get up to any stranger. It's wonderful. He's my bait when I go fishing for men. Yeah. Um, and I, I go out and I come back with interviews. And it so delights my heart because I haven't open air preached for about two years because of COVID. It's really hard to draw a crowd and we're not supposed to get people standing together. And and so when I go to Huntington Beach each Saturday, I do one-to-one and we put them on a YouTube channel. And our channel's just passed 181 million views. Wow. Well, that is so exciting for us. You just said, wow. We say wow every day. Yeah. It just blows us away that we've got a medium to reach people all around the world with the gospel. And uh, it's just a matter of one phone, microphone, and some earnest prayer and a dog. Mm. And uh, I come back with these exciting interviews. So that's a wonderful medium. And people can actually watch those on livingwaters.com and see how you can make an atheist backslide, how you can address the conscience rather than the intellect. Yeah. Uh, you can see examples of biblical evangelism, and that will give you courage it's not as scary as you think. And mm. I, I battle fear all the time, Tim. I, uh, you can watch me and you say, well, more, he's very courageous. But no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just as fearful as the next person. Mm. Every uh, Zacchaeus looks like a Goliath to me. I get a, go up to a person, I think, ooh, that person's going to get really angry. <laughs> no, it's a, fear is such a lie. Mm. Father of lies is waiting to feed you with a lie that you can't do it. You can and it's just a matter of stepping out in faith. And so I ignore my fears. Mm. What I uh, try and have the attitude is of a uh, is uh, of a firefighter. When a firefighter shows up at a, a burning building, he doesn't listen to his fears. When he looks up on the fifth story and he looks at that ladder, he has to climb and reach out and grab a woman and her children. How scary would that be? Yeah. You know, he's, he's not going to turn around and go home because he's trained for this moment. And one thing he's trained to do is ignore his fears. Mm. What he does, he thinks of that woman and her children. That's the way to do it. And that's how to overcome your fears as a Christian. Don't think about rejection. We all hate rejection. Think about the person you want to share the gospel with and what's going to happen to them if they die tonight in their sins. Mm. Lake of fire, damnation, terrors beyond words. If they're fearful of death this side, wait till after death. After death, the judgment. So, Compassion should swallow our fears. The Bible actually uses that analogy of the firefighter. Uh, uh, Jude, I think, 23, 24. Uh, Others making a difference, having compassion, pulling them from the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. And so always have that attitude, I will not fear. I can Mm. do all things through Christ who strengthened me. God, give me courage. Give me me the, the opportunity, you know. This is going to sound dumb, but if you're a dog lover, do you have a dog? Yes. Okay. You'll no, sun, no sunglasses for mine, though. No sunglasses. because <laughs> I'm in California. Yeah. Very bright sun. In, in Arizona, you don't go outside because it's too hot. Exactly. Um, I actually talk to my dog. He doesn't talk back. Well, he does. He does talk back. He tells me when there's someone at the door and when there's a cat, he'll let me know. But I, I put my dog on the bike and I say, here's your sunglasses. And I put him on him. I say, here's my sunglasses. I said, we're going out on the bike. And you see his eyes light up. And then I say, you're looking for dogs. I'm looking for people. And we're praying that God will give me somebody that he's Mm. prepared their heart so I can talk to them. And it's a dumb routine, but it makes me smile. And it generates a sense of excitement. 
I'm going out with my dog. He's going to pave the way for me. I'm going to share the gospel with complete strangers. And so often I come back and just go, wow, holding on to my phone because I've got precious footage of someone who broke down in tears. Someone who said, I'm just praying about this. God, where are you? Where are you? And you came along. Stuff like that happens regularly. And life becomes, I believe this is the abundant life the scriptures speak of. It's not one of everything going perfectly. It's just a a mission that you're on, uh, serving the Lord. There's nothing more exciting. And so uh, it does generate a sense of excitement and a sense of purpose. And my days aren't wasted uh, when I share the gospel with unsaved people. Yeah, that's really good. And the obstacles that we face and you talk about as far as fear, feeling ill-equipped, those are things that everyone's going to face. And I love how you're transparent enough to say that I still face that, but I push through it. And that's where the the problem is, I think, with a lot of Christians is that we think about the fears and the problems on why it's not going to work, why we're going to be rejected, instead of pushing through and say, well, what if not just I'm rejected, what if I actually reach somebody today? What if somebody actually comes into the kingdom because of the words I say, or just because the seeds I get to be, I get to plant and let the Holy Spirit do the work. And I think if we think about the what ifs that are the positive what ifs instead of the negative what ifs, that will push us forward to see the opportunities that God has for us every day. And you talk about this in one of your newest books called Word on the Street, how to share the gospel in the open air. And I love your definition of open air preaching is going somewhere I don't want to go to preach a message I don't want to preach to people who don't want to hear it. But the love of Christ compels me. And I've been thinking about this a lot when it comes to how the church takes the message to people who may never set foot in a building. And that's really what open air preaching is. And a lot of times we just kind of wait for people to stumble in, which doesn't happen. And so what do you think are some good strategies for churches and church members and the body of Christ to really have discernment about taking the message to the people? Yeah, I would look on... um an evangelism group within your church, people like an evangelism team, not as a an appendix, but as a heartbeat. Mm. You know, often I'll go to a, a speak at a church, thousand people. Where's your evangelism team? They're over there. There's six of us. We go out each Friday. And does the pastor know about it? Not really. He's not really interested. Well, that's your heartbeat of the church. They mm. bring a new life. And often I say to pastors, Get a racquetball, do something where you're going to mix with the ungodly. Mm. You know, I was in a, a church prayer meeting years ago, it was a combined church prayer meeting, and I could tell by how people prayed what church they went to. Mm. It was actually quite, quite interesting. Mm. If someone said, Father, oh, that, that person's from John Steele's church, because John Steele always began a prayer like that, Father, and people imitate the pastor. Yeah, um, we can't help it. Uh, you tend to become what, like you sit under. Well, if the pastor's mm-hmm. zealous for prophecy, so will his people be zealous for prophecy. He's zealous for theology; they'll be they'll be zealous for theology. He'll reproduce after his own kind. Yeah. But if he has a zeal for the lost, like we see in the Book of Acts, where Paul said, "Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel! By all means, save some." If we were like, if we were like that, the pastors were like that. They would reproduce after their own kind, and that would produce church growth. Mm. Really, I've only I've only seen some video of fish jumping into boats. It's kind of weird. I mean, in Louisiana, I think there's some rivers where fish at certain seasons <laughs> jump into boats. Yeah. It's not normal. And fish 
don't come into church. I mean, sinners don't visit church. Right. It's the last place they want to go when they're guilty. The whole principle of evangelism is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yeah. And I've often said how I've opened up the Greek of that great commission. The word go in the original Greek actually means to go. Where Jesus said into all the world, that word all means all the world. And when he said preach the gospel to every creature, the word every actually means every. So when Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to be honest and true to the original Greek, what he was saying was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, yeah. everybody. Share the gospel with everybody. I mean, we're, we're intimidated by atheists, yep. Muslims, and other like Jehovah's Witnesses and other, but what you've got to do is do what I do when it comes to people like that. Or, you know, Roman Catholics can even scare us because they believe in Jesus, but there's just something different going on there. It's really hard to reach them with the gospel. What I do is I've trained myself to go deaf. Mm. If someone says to me, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, I don't want to get into what they believe. I want to share the biblical gospel with them. Mm. So I just address their conscience and say, well, do you think you're a good person? And, and they'll usually say it, even though they're in a cult or in a particular religion, they'll say, yeah, I think I'm a good person. That's when your antenna, antenna should go up because Jesus said there's none good, mm. not one. Yeah. And the Bible says there's none that seek after God. And so what, what you've got in front of you, despite their beliefs, someone who's unsaved, and so what you've got to do is do what Jesus did and take them through the commandments. Just open up the law. Bible says of the Messiah, he would magnify the law and make it honorable. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever lived, yeah. we see what Jesus did. He opened up the law. You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh commandment. But then he said, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Mm. That's opening up the law, showing the spiritual nature of the law. And that's what brings the knowledge of sin. That's what shows sinners they need the Savior. That's what alarms them. That's what prepares their heart for the good news of the gospel. So that's always my agenda to uh, overcome fears, overcome intimidation, get rid of prejudices. Don't worry about rejection by thinking of the person's welfare and not your own and not being intim intimidated by what they believe. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I don't remember what the original question was. Sorry. About that. <laughs> no, that's great. And that's a, that's how I love your approaches because you just make it very practical where people think that they're, oh, I, I guess I'm a good person, but by whose standards? What standard are you using? And you go back to the Bible, you make sure that that's the foundation from which we build upon. And I even find with people too that you just assume they know about Jesus because they've heard the name, but there's such a twisting, especially today in today's culture, on who Jesus is who he was, what he stands for. You know, you, you look at the progressive Christianity movements, you look at all these other denominations and, and we, even within our culture in America, people get twisted on who they think Jesus is and they get turned off to the fact that you don't actually know the biblical Jesus. And so you're rejecting someone you don't know. And I think as Christians, we have to remember that when we talk about Jesus, that actually we bring people back to the biblical Jesus that people may not know, even if they've heard the name, even if they've used his name in vain, that doesn't mean that they know Jesus that loves them, that wants a relationship with them. And I find this too with denominations that sometimes put emphasis on God's elect, you know, without calling them out by name. But there's a lot of talk about, you know, this interplay between God's sovereignty and free will. 
I'm not going to, you know, just generalize, but some people will look at that and say, well, there's no point in me evangelizing because God's already selected the ones he's going to go to heaven. And I'm, I'm curious, just your thoughts on this interplay between God's sovereignty and then the responsibility we have, as you, you know, talked beautifully about the great commission, that that is a command for us, but how should that propel us instead of us, you know, kind of defaulting to apathy? Well, you know, I, I have a, um, I have an enemy that battles with me daily. It's Adam. You know, if you look at Pilgrim's Progress, you mm. see uh, Christian walking along. Suddenly this figure comes from behind a tree and grabs it, it grabs his flesh and pulls it. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Adam. Mm. And so I've got this Adamic nature, Ray Comfort BC, that I'm stuck with until the trumpet sounds or whatever. Yeah. And that lazy, sin-loving, rebellious old nature will do anything he can to get out of evangelism. Mm. Charles Spurgeon called evangelism an irksome task. That's a great choice of words. I love Spurgeon. And evangelism (laughs) is irksome. and It's really annoying. Mm. And i got to confess to you, I hate evangelism. I'd Mm. rather watch an old black and white movie on TV (laughs) than go out on my bike and talk to strangers. Sure. But I can't sit and do nothing. And so I've got to be very wary of the subtlety of my nature, my sinful nature, whispering to me, you know, God will save whom he wants. It's got nothing to do with you. Well, that's not according to scripture. You know, Mm. God saves people, but we have been given a great commission. And I look at Paul's words, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's reminded me of something happened to me many years ago. I was going to go and preach in the local square in the city of Christchurch, New Zealand, six-mile drive. And I thought, oh, it's not a very nice day. It's pretty windy and cold. I don't think I'll go today. But then I decided someone wanted to ride into the city, so I took them in, walked into where we usually preached, and looked around, and I saw it was really windy and uh, very cold. And I looked, and there was a band setting up about 50 yards from where I normally preach. And so I walked across and I said, uh, so when are you going to play? Because I'd get drowned out. And they sent about 20 minutes. And I actually whispered out loud, 20 minutes, hardly worth preaching the gospel. Mm. And as I said that, I looked down and there was a piece of paper floating around. It was about that big, just in front of me. So I bent down and picked it up. And I couldn't believe it. It was a page out of somebody's Bible. And then it said on the page number 1122. And I looked at the um, the page and I my eyes zeroed in on a verse and it said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. <laughs> and I just took a minute. I thought, okay, I, I preached for like eight years at that time in the square. I'd never seen a page of someone's Bible floating around, yeah. 1,100 pages. And it turned out to be a Bible verse that says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. On a windy day and of all the people to find it, I find it just as I'm saying, Hardly worth preaching the gospel 20 minutes. Yeah. So I got up and preached. And I've always remembered that. Always worth preaching the gospel. Mm. You know? Yeah. I uh, Sometimes I've got up to open air preach and there's been three or four people listening and it's exhausting. It, particularly at my age, it really is exhausting, you know, to be preaching. Sure. Um, but I've remembered that, that I don't know who's standing in front of me. I don't know uh, what God's doing in that respect. It yeah. could be a woman at the well. It could be a, a Charles Spurgeon. You just don't know. Yeah. And so I'll grab that scripture, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So our labor is never, ever in vain. And, yes. uh, and we've been given a great commission and we shouldn't look for excuses. There's no excuses or there's excuses. There's no reasons not to be zealous every day to reach the lost. Yeah. I love that. Our responsibility is our obedience. The results are in God's hands. And when it comes to evangelism too, you know, the parable of the sower is an amazing example of that. Do you really, do you think about that when you evangelize and just kind of give it to God, even if you don't see the results in that moment? Oh, yes. Uh, I think the event, the parable of the sower has wonderful, wonderful keys. And I've heard people say, you know, one and four is going to fall away. But I don't think the parable of the sower is been given to us as a consolation for disappointing evangelistic results. I think there are keys in there. You've got the stony ground hearer, you've got the thorny ground hearer, and you've got the good soil hearer. And the good soil hearer is he who hears and understands. And so if you use the Ten Commandments, the moral law, as a schoolmaster to bring sinners to Christ, the function produce knowledge. When you open up the law, and show sinners they've sinned against God, they are more likely to have a genuine conversion because the law gives them an understanding of their state before God. They're not coming to have a God-shaped vacuum filled. They're coming because they've sinned against God, that he's seen their lust and their pornography in there. It's going to be revealed on judgment, and they need a Savior to shelter them from his wrath and grant everlasting life by the mercy of God. And so I'm encouraged by the parable of the sower. Jesus said, uh, when his disciples said, what are you talking about? He said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? In mm. other words, the parable of the sower is the key to lock the mystery of the other parables. Yeah. The wheat and the tears, the foolish virgins, the wise virgins, the bad fish and the good fish, um, the wheat and the tears, all those sitting together within the church, and the day is going to come when God sorts them out. So what we want to do is fill the church up with genuine converts, not the false convert. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And a lot of times we try to police the the Christians that know Christ without leaving it up to God, letting him deal with them as they will. And it's not up to us to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, you know, as, as far as convictions go, as far as, you know, the walk of sanctification. I think we just need to model it. We need to help people along. We need to disciple people. But at the same time, it's up to God and what he will do with us, as long as we're faithful, as long as we're obedient in that moment. And, you know, I've said before you, as long as you have a seat at the table in someone's life, you can speak into their life as far as the deeper things go. And I'm not talking about evangelism. You can evangelize to anybody, but as far as, you know, here, I see this is something you're struggling with. I see this sin in your life. I see this, and this is what I've done. This is how God has delivered me. And I think the importance of our testimony is so important with sharing not only the gospel, but just God's continued testimony. A lot of times I think we think of testimony as just a one-time thing of coming to salvation, but God's faithfulness and the testimony of his faithfulness in our life is a continual thing. You know, I can share my testimony of what God did in my life last week, let alone 10, 20 years ago. And so I would encourage everyone listening to not shortchange your testimony, use it. It is powerful. It is how we defeat the enemy, you know, overcame them by the blood of the lamb, the word of their mouth, and they love not their lives unto death. And if you have nothing else to share, share your testimony, share what God has done in your life, because that's something that no one can take away from you. Yeah, um, I think a wonderful key in today's dark age is the thief on the cross. What an incredible experience we see take place. Yeah, Um, You've got two thieves 
the Bible at one point said they both railed upon Jesus, both of them blasphemed him, but something changed one of those thieves' minds. Now, he may have seen him nail the hands of Jesus and watched him give his hands and not fight. They may have heard him say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, That may have had a huge impression on the thief that uh, became penitent. But there's another thing that took place, and I think it's very interesting, is that he was nailed to a cross. He wasn't going anywhere. He couldn't do anything with his hands, couldn't go anywhere with his feet. Mm. He knew that what was going to happen to him was that the Roman guards were going to come along and break his legs, and he was going to pass into eternity. Let me just digress because I forgot to share an analogy with you um, to begin with to make it make sense. In New Zealand, Australia, and England, we have something called a poached egg. I don't know what a, don't know if you know what a poached egg is. It's like a fried egg, but it's done in water. Yeah. And it just boiled and it's and what happens that you get scum on the top and you have to scrape it off and that it's really annoying. But recently I put a lid on the frying pan and it cooked. The pressure made it cook 10 times faster, and there was no fluff on the top. Mm. Fluff just got just disappeared because of the the pressure. So what happened with that thief on the cross is he came under tremendous pressure. He knew he was going to die, and that helped him get rid of the fluff, the things that don't matter. I mean, Mm. nothing else mattered. He was going to die. They were going to break his legs. So what mattered to him was where he's going to spend eternity. And I believe that was a huge influence on him, that knowledge that he was going to die, plus the knowledge he was probably a Jew, almost certainly, that he knew God's law, that he knew he had broken the eighth commandment. He was a thief and he acknowledged it to the other thief. We're here justly. This man hasn't done anything. And so we're living in a day and age where people are being pressured by COVID. They're thinking about their own death. Most people go through life without thinking much about death. But what's happened because of the pressure of COVID, everybody's thinking about, I could die. I could easily die. And so it's making them get rid of the fluff, the things that don't matter. And I've found that to be true. When I go out to witness it sped up the process. People who normally wouldn't think about dying are thinking about it. And I often say to people, do you think there's an afterlife? Are you afraid of death? Mm. And they'll go quiet. And they'll say, yeah, I am actually. And I say, everybody is. Hebrews 2 verse 15 says that every human being is haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime. Mm. And it's nothing to be ashamed of, a humble heart. When someone says that to me, I know they're going to be open to the gospel because they've got a humble heart. Proud people say, I'm not afraid of dying. Hmm. Everybody is. It's terrifying until you come to Christ. Then you can control your fears. And so we need to take advantage of this dark time in which we're living to take the light of the gospel to these people. And don't be afraid to ask them about their fear of death Hmm. and say, you've got a will to live. It's God-given. You're not a beast. You're not the product of evolution. You're made in the image of God. Something in you says, I don't want to die. That's God-given, so you need to listen to it uh, because God can grant you everlasting life as a free gift if you'll come to him with a good and honest heart. Wow, that's really good. And that's a good perspective on the thief on the cross too and uh, just how the pressure that life brings us. And that's something that people have just kind of reassessed these last two years with COVID, like you said, is that what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? You know, if my job doesn't matter, if these things don't matter, what really matters? And I wanted to end with this last question on your book, Counting the Days, Undeniable Signs of the Last Days. And you talk about the hope we have as Christians when we understand prophecy that the Bible gives us about the future. And so how would you say that we can discern the times we're in uh, without getting caught up in paranoia and fear, but actually having that, that confidence and that trust that God's in control? 
Well, I'm going to share something with you um, that's going to sound weird at first, but it's not. You may have seen it in the book. My wife and I love watching rugby. Rugby's like American football, but it's you pass the ball backwards. We won't watch our favorite team play unless we know the score, unless we know who won. Mm. And you might say, that's crazy. You take the excitement out of it. No, you don't. You take the stress out of it. Mm-hmm. When we watch our team play, because we know they played last night and we're watching a replay, when the opposition scream and go, yes, yes, if I know we won, I don't get upset that yeah. they've got a point. I smile. I've got peace and I've got joy because I know the outcome. Mm. And that that is just so powerful, yet we're stressed. We watch a whole game without the slightest stress. Now, God has given us in his word the beginning to the end, and we can see everything. If you study prophecy, unfolding in its time, I mean, I am blown away by these mandates um, for vaccines. And I can see, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you saw on the news recently, where they're saying they can implant a chip for, that tells you if you vaccine in the back of the hand. Well, I've yeah. heard about that 50 years ago. Right. You know, preachers would say there's a time going to come where people couldn't buy and sell and you've got them, unless you've got the mark of the beast. Well, I thought 50 years ago, how could that happen? The whole world can't buy or sell. What scenario would bring that into, into place? And you can see it happening. How can they make people get a vaccine? How can you know that all the little CDC cards they've got nowadays can be counterfeited easily? And so I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but it sure looks like it, you know, and it encourages me. I don't get stressed because I know the outcome. I know what's going to happen in the future. And that's why we should be like the Apostle Paul. It says in the book of uh, Acts that he uh, preached Jesus and he did it out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, the law of Moses to bring the knowledge of sin and the prophets to substantiate the truth of Scripture. Only God knows the beginning from the end. And when you study prophecy, you can see his fingerprint is all over the Bible. And that gives you great confidence and great peace and joy in these troubled times. Mm, Love that. And that's so true about just the acceleration of things. And even the Bible says, you know, the knowledge and and travel will increase. And we're in the middle of it. Things you never thought you'd see 50 years ago, we're seeing today before our eyes. And it's exciting if you have that perspective of eternity and the fact that God's in control no matter what man does, no matter what Satan does. And if we're in Christ, we're in the palm of his hands and we have our eternity secure in him. So Ray, thank you so much for coming on. Let everyone know where they can connect with you and get your great resources. Oh, that's great. Um, YouTube channel, 181 million views, subscribe, uh, get a living waters, get our uh, newsletter, just sign up for the newsletter and that will keep you informed about the new tracks. We've got one coming out called the mark of the beast. It's a little booklet. It just goes through what we've just talked about before plus other uh, things that can help you, livingwaters.com. Very cool. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you again for coming on. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Ray, so much for coming on the podcast. It was great talking to you, hearing your passion, and I am fired up to go reach the lost now as well. I hope if you're listening, you connect with his resources as well as the things I'm doing. If you want to support this podcast and keep it going strong, I definitely need your listens, your follows, your likes, your subscribes, all that great stuff that you think doesn't make a difference, but it actually does. Did you know I have three version Bible plans and I have a new one releasing soon? You can get the current plans on version right now, Everyday Discernment, Hurt by Christians, and Eyes on Jesus.
And for next week, I'm excited to talk to Valerie Reynolds. She has a ministry online for women, a podcast. She has some great wisdom that she'll share with us next week. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.